So as I so often do, uh, because it's just an easy way to find amazing guests, I will troll them on events that I speak at. And my next guest is exactly somebody I trolled at an event that I re recently spoke at, the Interop event. Um, e E's talk was on cloud maturity. Why don't you quickly introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Elisha Locke and all my friends call me E. Uh, I work in the cloud space as a solution architect, specifically focusing on cloud, DevOps, and automation. Those are my, my three specialties within the space. Um, I've been making the conference circuit rounds this year, talking about the framework that I've helped develop for um, measuring DevOps and cloud maturity for an organization. And then I also have been doing a, a separate uh, series of talks around DevOps metrics and dashboards. I like both of those. I think I, I prefer the latter, but I but I like both of those. I I certainly enjoy the idea of building uh, KPIs around DevOps environments, and we can talk about that in a second. But first, what is in a cloud maturity model? So the way that we broke it up is we um, we try to look at it in in five different areas. So you look at you know your inspectors, your injectors, and that sort of stuff. And this is something I learned from Otter Suleiman, who was uh, CEO of Flux Seven at my time there. And so they have this enterprise DevOps framework model, and that that allows you to conceptualize the different pieces of your you know complex technology systems in these little buckets, right? And so that's how we kind of divide it up to look at the services and the the all of the stuff, you know, authentication, all the pieces that go into making an app able to be developed, I should say. Um, and then, you know, we look at um, what the client's drivers to the clouds are, to the cloud is. Um, so like, why are they there? Are they there to save money? Are they there to increase security, um, increase innovation time, whatever? And we take those and make a matrix with a five point scoring system. And five is like, Netflixes and Googles and people that have really sophisticated DevOps and automation and cloud environments. Um, and then, you know, a zero score would be somebody that's just like running around and reacting and like, oh my God, this is on fire. Let's go put this out. You know, people that are releasing like maybe once a year. Um, and then everybody, there's a, a continuum, of course. Most, most clients would fall somewhere around the two to three range. We would make some suggestions for improvements and say, okay, if you do, if you implement code scanning here, and you know, you do this kind of thing here, it'll improve your, your security stance and, and your security scores can come up. And so it allows the clients to really look at going, okay, cost is really important to me. So this is what I'm gonna focus on. Or security is really important to me. So this is what I'm going to focus on. Yeah, it's cool that you include the business elements and in, in align it with tech. I feel like that's a really difficult challenge. When, when you say maturity, it it implies a spectrum, where does that put hybrid cloud? Because I feel like if it if you have hybrid cloud, it would put you on the other side of the spectrum. It, it really depends on how you're utilizing those hybrid cloud resources. Um, you know, I've had a couple of different clients. There, there was one client um, that they were using Google Cloud, Azure and AWS, but most of the processes to, to get on those platforms were highly manual. And so they weren't scoring as high as somebody who, and I had another client that was using Azure and AWS 
And they had a lot of really nice pipelines and streamlined processes around it that empowered the developers to move quickly. And so they received much higher scores on most things. So yeah, it's like scoring your execution of the cloud, the, the move exactly. to cloud, which, yeah, because a lot of companies will lift and shift and cloudify and think that they're done and walk away when they've really leveraged none of the benefits that, that they get from, from the cloud. And of course, using the well-architected frameworks for all the platforms are, are really important too. And so that kind of drives our scores as well, um, you know, because you want to be doing things the best way for the platform that you're on. And so if uh, for, for clients that can handle that and, and have, you know, oh yeah, it's easy to select Azure or AWS, they're going to have a little bit higher score, especially around like automation, generally speaking. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I'm so baffled by the companies who are already talking about things like pipeline analytics or chaos engineering, for example, like they heard about chaos engineering, they think it's amazing, but they don't even have CI CD automated or like there there's like a, a wall at some point in their automation that would make it impossible to make chaos engineering work. So there are, you have to be pretty good at certain things before you can take the next leap. So don't, don't try to skip steps, I guess, is, is the point. Yeah, now, people really want to skip code scanning and automated testing. Those are yeah. like the two things that, that yeah. really seem to fall to the wayside. And they see, to me, that seems the most dangerous to, well, to kind of kick the guy down the road on. And is it, that's not changing with the, all the stuff that's going on with like solar winds and, and all of that stuff. I mean, the realization that not focusing on quality before production always comes back to bite you. I mean, it's not if, it's always, it's when. There's, I don't think everybody realizes that at this point. I think that the more the stuff like, you know, the solar winds and the Capital One, when the Capital One breach happened, that was a huge driver for a lot of my clients. That was when we saw a big uptick in security requests. Um, but, you know, a lot of it is people don't know what they don't know and they just assume that they're secure. They assume that they're running well. And, and it's not until they are able to kind of compare themselves to their peers and their competition and they see, oh, wow, you know, this is what my competitors are doing. I should get on board with this too. Well, it just means that you picked a really good career path. That's really what that means. <laughs> <laughs> so in, in the maturity model and, and working with clients, whether they go through the maturity model or not, has there been any common bottleneck that you've identified that, that enterprises are running up against in, in making the, the transformation? You know, it seems to be different from client to client. Um, I, I will say, like I said, um, the security and automated testing pieces seem to be, even with the most mature clients, those seem to be the two pieces that are usually the weakest in their, their, their process, which makes sense, right? Like you have to have really good working code before you can write automated tests for it. Um, and, and it's hard to find people to write automated tests. It's really easy to, it's much easier to find people to code the stuff than it is to find people to write code to test that code. Um, but I do think those are the two areas that it, uh, I think that are the most common, you know, commonly in need of love, so to speak. So what a lot of people don't realize about your role is that you're jumping in to tech, you're jumping out of tech into business, you're dealing with different personas who, while you may understand how they relate to each other, they may not 
themselves understand how they relate to each other, which is a key aspect to getting enterprise, any enterprise to make you know, meaningful shifts into DevOps. How do you reconcile all these different personas, all these different goals, and the fact that, for example, a developer just doesn't care. Like a lot of times they just care about their feature. They don't care what that feature has to do with the business at all. So there, there are a couple of things that I think are really useful in that. Um, one of the things that I've seen that's really gaining popularity is value stream mapping. And there are a lot of tools that are starting to build that. And so it allows people, developers, business people to see you know, the relation between business and um, code and those features getting out to, into the hands of users. So I think that's really cool and promising. And there are some tools around that that are really cool. Yeah, the, the other thing too is that um, I think that the research is pretty clear that culture is really important when it comes to DevOps. And uh, the Dora DevOps report has been immensely handy for me to, to bring that back to my clients and say, look, this other you know, research organization is saying you, you have to work along, you have to work well together, and that there are all these different roles and responsibilities. And it isn't just about having great infrastructure, it isn't just about having you know, the best features out there. It really is about getting along as a group. It's about delivering features that users want and that drive money for your business so that you can do bigger and better things with that money and reinvest it. Yeah, the unity aspect, I mean, it even frustrates me. And I've done several talks on this. Like, You want like a checklist of how to implement this stuff. And with tech, that's easy. With culture collaboration, it's very difficult. And it's even more difficult when everybody's MBOs, objectives, you know, whatever you decide to call them, KPIs, they don't always align towards unity. They often align towards individual deliverables. So it's an interesting problem. And whoever figures out a true, so I think value stream mapping is a great way to identify the gaps, but whoever can actually figure out the a system for doing this <laughs> is, is just going to kill it. I, I think that that is amazing. So you mentioned the Dora report, which if you're not familiar with that, that's an annual report. Um, Dora used to be its own research organization, now a part of Google, and there's the annual DevOps report. But as a part of that, there's also the Dora metrics, which plays into your, what you said, um, analytics across the delivery chain. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the Dora DevOps report is super interesting because um, it really covers, like I said, not just culture, but the, the, end, the end aspect. One of the things that I'm seeing more and more is that um, organizations are interested in those key metrics. So Dora lays out those the four key metrics that are like lead time to change. I don't have them off the top of my head. I should know all four of these, but they're starting to build them into tools, right? Um, so CloudBees has a tool specifically around that. Um, I know Zebia Labs has some tooling so that you can get those metrics. New Relic, um, who's of course one of the sponsors of the report, they have some tools to build dashboards around that. But that again is one of those pieces that kind of ties the business and the tech together and allows you to see the connection between, okay, yeah, we pushed this feature out. It took forever to get out, but it's immensely popular, you know, or the flip side of that, it took us six months to work on this and nobody's using it. And so you can get that kind of insights that, that allow you to pivot and make really good business decisions and also kind of inform your technical decisions and what kind of you know, direction you wanna go with future feature, features and tech stacks and that sort of thing. 
yeah, if you can't visualize the current state, then there's no way to plan the future state. It's, uh, it's just impossible. So I, I, I really, really enjoy pipeline analytics. One thing I will say, you know, DORA is just one form of them. There's also the flow metrics. Unfortunately, DORA is starting, the four DORA metrics are starting to become a pseudo standard and they're good. Don't get me wrong. They're not bad, but there's others, you know, there's like um, another one I really like is unplanned work amount of unplanned work. So the relationship between, which is a way to measure burnout also with your on-call team. So you have a Selenium shirt on, you come from a quality engineering background. And I, I think, yeah, the, the neglect of quality is a mistake that a lot of organizations um, make. How do you feel in, from the tech side, like what you can do today with automated testing? Like what, what are the possibilities? Because as you said, you know, most people are used to referring to quality assurance as a manual click button activity, but quality engineering is something very different. Oh yeah, yeah. That's when you really try to look at how you can automate things the best. Um, you know, and at Selenium, I spoke at the conference and it's, I've been using it since it came out and it is insane how far that tool has come. Like I, never would have predicted when I started using it that it would basically be in use at every single major.com in the world. What's funny with Selenium is that it started as a record and playback tool. That kind of went away and lost popularity and now the record and playback tool is gaining favor again. It's funny because like you know, 10 years ago, record and playback was like, oh, don't do that. And now you're seeing more tools. Um, I think Apple, Apple Tools is another one where they're doing a lot of like visual testing, record and playback kind of stuff. Um, so I think it's really interesting that we're, the technology has advanced to a point where we can now do these side-by-side -side screenshots and, and diffs, and it's a heck of a lot more accurate than it was a decade ago, thanks to advances in machine learning and artificial intelligence and that sort of thing. So I think that it's really cool when you see that overlap of things, and you, know, you don't have to spend your human brain going, yes, this is a shopping cart icon, right? We know what shopping carts look like. Robots all know what shopping carts look like. And so it's been really cool to kind of see things really shift towards automation. And I remember hearing, oh, there's always, we're always going to need manual testers. Yeah, that's probably true. But those jobs are few and far between now. You know, whereas that was the, the main thing that was out there 15 years ago. Um, now you're expected to be able to automate you know, API testing and automate front-end testing. And you're expected to know what the right level is. The, you know, the testing pyramid is something that is really popular now that you know, nobody was talking about 10 or 15 years ago. I don't even know if it existed back then. Yeah, I, you know, and I think that manual testing still plays a lot in building testing strategies and test cases. What I've always loved about quality engineering teams is they tend to have a much more holistic picture of the application and the delivery process, just like DevOps teams do, than developers or peer operations people do. And so that holistic perspective is, is very valuable. Unfortunately, the typical QA engineer is not very good at communicating their value. And I think that that's been to the detriment of the entire uh, market. And yeah, I love per perceptual dips that Apple Tools and, and some of the other frameworks have. So in 2021, because now we're past 2020, what are you most excited about in the DevOps market and, and the types of projects? Like, do you think the types of projects you're going to be working on are going to change? 
the, the first project I have um, is going to be, there's a, a heavily mobile piece and there's an IoT piece, but there's also some embedded software. And this is going to be, it's been a while since I've worked in embedded software, about two or three years. So that's really cool. I'm excited about working, you know, with something like that. One of the things I'm probably most excited about this year focusing on is um, the kind of softer side of, of working in tech, inclusion and diversity. Uh, I am going to be uh, one of the few diverse people in this team that I'm joining. And I am looking forward to, you know, helping grow the, the diversity on the team, not just gender diversity, you know, age diversity, uh, gender diversity, racial diversity, all of it. Um, and so I'm going to be heavily involved with women who build at Slalom. I helped, you know, increase the diversity on the QA team there, QE team, sorry, there, two, two, three years ago. And so I'm really looking forward to kind of doing the same thing for the DevOps space since I think it's like six or 7% of the, the population in this is diverse talent, even lower if you start looking by, by race metrics. So I really personally want to make a difference in that. So looking forward to hiring and recruiting new people and doing some mentorship and that sort of stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of amazing talent out there that, you know, just by virtue of not having previous experience that they were barred from, they, they just don't get, don't even get a chance. So I think a focus on that is fantastic. Uh, things there isn't a degree in and so I'm really I'm excited and trying to like figure out pathways that we can mentor people into this really awesome field because there are not enough people we just don't have enough people for the jobs isn't that crazy I mean if you given given the job market right now and and knowing what's going on there but also conversely looking at some of the recs like Splunk has had open and the number of applicants we get it's it's just insane you you can't higher fast enough and it is also kind of a challenging field to get into because most engineering schools do not teach what i call the business of building applications they teach the code they programming language the design patterns you know things of that sort they don't talk about how you collaborate with multi-team organizations and how it all has to come together to actually get it out the door. So it is pretty amazing. So I see a Death Star, you have a display case similar to mine, Lego, a lot of Lego. And I know that that's a joint activity, right? That's a family activity, the Legos. Yeah. yeah. Any other? A, a space Lego over here, real space, not, not Star Wars space. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the Space Station and the Nintendo, which is the most awesome Lego build I have ever done. I just absolutely love it. I love everything about it. Any other collectibles? <laughs> I do. I, I have um, concert posters that I collect. I that's love cool. hand-printed concert posters. So I have some, like I have a Jimi Hendrix poster that's probably like my, my, my crown jewel, so to speak. And I've got a couple Pearl Jam posters, a Nine Inch Nails poster. So all of those are like, you know, limited run kind of things that I pick up at shows. That's cool. I always love how techies are like very organized about their collections. And maybe that's true for any, but it's very precise. Like there's a precision to what they buy and, and then how they display it and such. Although my collections have been relegated to a corner 
for the time being and it, and it makes me very sad and most of my Legos have been torn apart by my kids. So to close it out, um, what are, do you have any upcoming talks? What's, what's next with you? Uh, I don't have any upcoming, upcoming talks. Uh, my goal this year is to do a lot of writing. Um, so I'm trying to churn out a blog post per month. Um, I've got one that's in the works right now about some work that um, me and a, a developer did on um, upgrading log4j and wrangling log levels and bringing them back to, you know, it was a piece of legacy software. Some of the logs that were exceptions should have been warnings, some of the warnings should have been errors, that sort of thing. So we went through and right-sized the logs and I wrote about that. That's um, awesome. So we'll see. I'm, I, I kind of like just keeping my ear to the ground and hearing what my clients are, are interested in and then writing about that. 